Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast, where we talk about faith and pop culture, because there's no such thing as secular. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net. Did you know that there are exactly 100 ratings of the TC Podcast over at Apple Podcasts? Wouldn't you like to be number 101? Even better, while you're there, a few words about the show would be much appreciated. It has been a bit since we've had a fresh review, and these are vital for helping us reach new listeners. It's easy to leave a review right now while you're listening. Just click on the Think Christian podcast show title. That should be sliding by on your screen right beneath this episode's title. Clicking on that will bring you to our show page where you can scroll down until you get to reviews, tap to give a star rating, then scroll down a bit more and click write a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. In exchange, we'll give you another show. Today, I catch up on all things One Piece, the manga series written and illustrated by Ichiro Oda that was first published in 1997. Then there came the anime series based on it that's been running since 1999. And now we have a new live-action Netflix adaptation. Claude Acho knows much more about all of this than I do, so he's going to join me and Abby Olchesi to talk pirates, strange powers, and snail phones. It's finally One Piece time for Claude Acho. Claude asked me months ago if he could be part of our coverage of the new Netflix series, uh, Fourth and Christian. And so we're finally getting to that here. Claude, for those of you not watching us on YouTube, has shown up in a straw hat. He is committed. He's got he's got the <laughs> cosplay going. I'm also very pleased to have Abby Olchesi, who, like myself, is a One Piece newbie. Abby is along for the ride too. Claude, you've got the hat. You need to get us started. Can you give us just the basic premise for this this manga turned anime series turned live action Netflix show? Maybe tell us about your background with the franchise and then along the way, please explain to me the snail phones. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, so One Piece is the best-selling manga in in Japan, and it's a a big global phenomenon. It's been running for 20-plus years, follows the story of Monkey D. Luffy, uh, who wants to be the king of the pirates. He wants to try to find this treasure uh, called the One Piece, which you don't really know what it is, but if you find that... You're the king, and he 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 wants to get out on the sea and and an adventure and find a crew, and he he has big dreams, big aspirations, and so he he goes out and uh, wild adventures ensue, including snail phones and <laughs> marines and wild pirates and and just a vast sort of zany and heartwarming sort of universe. My history with One Piece is. Uh, I picked up the manga, I want to say maybe like four years ago and read the first volume and thought, oh, this is, this is neat, but you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this because one of the, one of the uh, elements of one piece is it's been running for 20 plus years. So there's over a thousand episodes in the anime and over a hundred volumes in in a manga. So it's a big commitment and that does scare a lot of people away, which is partly why the Netflix series is so wonderful because it's an easier entry point for folks. So I, um, I did a slow entry and read the manga and and watch the anime and am delighted to see it on Netflix and delighted to talk about it with y'all. Excellent. So the snail phones are literal for people who haven't watched it yet. It's like a giant snail on a desk that characters pick up 
and basically talk into to communicate. There are a lot of bizarre touches like that. Monkey D. Luffy also has powers because of a fruit that he has eaten that allow him to stretch like rubber. Um, and so that's his key sort of power. Uh, other characters have different powers as well. Abby, I believe you were more dutiful than me. And is it true you checked out some of the anime series as well? What did you see any of those? If so, what did you make of them? I, I watched the first couple of episodes just because I was kind of curious as to what we were getting into. And I wanted to kind of give myself a sense of what I was in for. And I'm glad I did because I think it was a really good kind of tonal setup telling me like what to expect, how crazy things were going to be, um, being really curious about how certain elements of the animated show would translate into live action. Like for example, Monkey D. Luffy's ability to stretch wildly. Like how is that going to look in live action? Is it going to be like off-putting? Is it going to be like endearing? I think the only things that kind of translated poorly for me were <laughs> snail phones. <laughs> okay. If only because they have like human lips and teeth, which I just find extremely creepy. Um, it, it's, it's true. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's tr- it looks like essentially like Gary the snail from SpongeBob, but like, real and with (laughs) human facial features. (laughs) Well, let's turn to this new live action adaptation, which has been, at least according to Netflix's numbers, this global sensation for the streaming service. Reviews, I think, have been kind overall Mm -hmm. as well. Claude, I imagine your expectations were high for this. Did the show meet them? My expectations actually, Josh, were um, suspicious and low. Partly because of what you mentioned, Abby, about how certain tonal elements would be translated. You know, when when you're doing something in animation, you can exaggerate figures and it feels real, it feels cool. It can also feel both sort of wild, but also kind of grounded because it's animation. And I was just really nervous about how things would translate into live action like in particular certain characters like there's a um there's a sort of shark um villain character who in the anime and in the manga is really large in stature so think of you know like a seven foot you know person and then in the show's uh previews, you know, this character is eye to eye with Luffy. So it was sort of like, oh man. And even I was texting with some friends that love the show and the, and the manga I was sort of like, man, this isn't going to work. So I, I came in with a lot of skepticism and then I was just wildly surprised. And I think a lot of the spirit of the manga and the anime are captured through the skill of the actors and not to mention CGI and all that sort of stuff. Like they had to wait until that was really developed to really put this into live action. But I think it's the actors in particular, uh, Luffy uh, is just, his spirit is captured so uh, vibrantly that the show really worked for me. So I was pleasantly surprised. I want to get to some of those, the actors and the characters in particular, because I think that's interesting. That, that makes sense. And I not having any familiarity with the, anime, yeah, I did have some of that adjusting I had to do in terms of the performances. So we need to get to that. But Abby, did you have suspicious and low expectations as well? Or what were you kind of thinking going in and how did it work for you? Yeah, I think mine were kind of low as well, just partly in quality expectations, just because I think we all remember when the uh, the live action Death Note came out and how that was not super well received. And also the uh, the Cowboy Bebop adaptation that came out a couple of years ago, which I thought worked well in places, but didn't get a second season. And so my initial coming in was just like, this may not work. And even if it does, the things that they're going to have to do to make it work will be so expensive that this probably isn't going to get a second season. But again, I was really pleasantly surprised and it did get renewed and I'm delighted that it got renewed. I think even if you're not super familiar with the anime, which I 
again, I'm not really, I've only watched a couple of episodes, but I think even if you're just coming in cold, it has such a wildly imaginative approach and it's so warm and kind and fun that I think it's really easy to just kind of throw caution to the wind and get into. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how quickly I got into it. Yeah, I think I had a similar experience. You know, I definitely felt that tension between being live action and wanting to honor the anime. And and there are technical ways you can do that, as you mentioned, Claude, with the CGI. This does have still that very smooth, I'm definitely associating it with Netflix fantasy productions. It's mm-hmm. almost, some elements are nice and crisp, but really overall, especially the backgrounds, there's a smoothing going on. It's like there's a Netflix soft filter. <laughs> and, and you know, that's a little disappointing, especially for a show that depends so much on world building, right? But there are instances where the the effects work well. You're so right about, I think you said tonal setup, Abby, and how if I had seen some of the anime From what anime I have seen, I knew we would get some of these exaggerated elements, high emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the extreme close-ups this series relies on to capture that work quite as well, but I did like other aspects like the use of split screens on occasion. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. And I did get used to the loudness of the performances, Uh, you know, eventually recognizing this is the volume level they're at in an anime. And so they're trying to honor that, keep that same tone. And I think as the crew, as Luffy's crew bonded, I found myself bonding as well. So Mm -hmm. that brings us back to the performances you were talking about, Claude. I want to know from each of you, what character did they get right? You could probably speak to this the best, Claude, but I want to know what character you thought they they got right. And was there a character you struggled with? I, I I think you you said before when we weren't recording, you're thinking about going as a character for Halloween from One Piece, Claude. So maybe that's the one you thought they got right, or or was it somebody else? Yeah, no. I, I'm the the character. I think they. I think the whole cast did a did a great job. The whole Straw Hat crew. I think. Uh, in particular, if I had to say the ones that are nailed, I think Luffy uh, was really nailed. And I'm interested in talking about him as sort of like a uh, a pure of heart, mm. you know, virtuous character. And and I think how that sort of ties in for a kind of a theological angle. That's interesting. Zoro, sort of a stoic, kind of too cool for school character. And Nami also was really uh, just, I think the spirit of her character was captured really well um, by that particular uh, actress, Emily Rudd. So those those are the three I think that that really nailed it. Um, I, I was interested in going to Halloween as uh, Usopp, who is sort of like this this goofy kind of the goofy character of the bunch. But later in the manga, he he has a persona called the where he dresses up and pretends to be a superhero. So I was going to dress up like that. Wow. Um, but my, my son won't think it's cool. So if he listens <laughs> to this, um, I, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Um, please admire your dad. <laughs> It's hard work, I know. How about you, Abby? Which character uh, did you gravitate towards? I think everybody really enjoys Luffy. I like Luffy a lot. I thought that the transition from the anime to live action, almost like it felt almost seamless just in terms of the mm-hmm. amount of confidence that he has and the amount of energy that he has and how like you fall in love with that character almost immediately because he's just so charming and so dedicated and excited. I also really liked Kobe, uh, which is another, I thought, pretty good transition from anime to to live action uh, and just there the dynamic between Kobe and Luffy because these are characters like Luffy essentially rescues Kobe from pirate slavery in the first episode 
Toby's dream is to become a Marine and the Marines are the enemies of the pirates. And so that should be, you know, that that should be a problem, but it's not for Luffy because he just, he wants everybody to achieve their dreams so much that he just unanimously, just uh, unequivocally supports Kobe in his dream. And I think we see Kobe kind of figuring out the balance between what he wants to do and being a good friend throughout the series. And I really kind of gravitated toward that arc for him. Yeah, that supporting affirming element to Luffy's character is so crucial. And it's right there from the start. Uh, It took me a little while longer to come around on him than you, Abby. And, you know, I think... Inyaki Godoy is the actor uh, playing Mm. Luffy, we should say. He's very insistent, and it takes a while to realize, you know, the goodness of that quality and what's behind his insistence and what he's being insistent about. And I think once that does come forward, I did gravitate more towards the character. And he's crucial to, you know, we've talked about this, forget what you said at the top, Claude, but a, a generous or, you know, it's a diff for a pirate show. It's a different sort of attitude that is brought to this series. And I think Luffy is the key to that. So I want to, yeah, I want to get to what you were talking about, Claude, when you describe Luffy as pure of heart, how how you see that working. Well, I think part of this is sort of a, a staple of anime or shonen manga, which is sort of like teenage, you know, manga targeted towards teenagers. And there's usually a character at the center, a protagonist who has a dream and is, you know, de- devoted to that dream, but at the same time, is a virtuous person. And so I think with Luffy, you find, just as we're sort of mentioning, he has this dream. He wants to become the king of the pirates. It's the dream against all odds, but he believes in himself deeply. He has people that come around him, and even though his dream is wild, they support him. You know, the character Shanks, who's sort of a legendary pirate who takes uh, Luffy under his wing. And so... Luffy has this dream that he's going to give him his whole self to, you know, even if it, even if it, you know, ends up, you know, kind of harming him, he's going to, he's going to go for this dream. But at the same time, as he encounters people, he respects their dream as well. So he has his dream and, but he honors the dreams of others and he believes in them when they don't believe in themselves. So the sort of purity of heart, this, this virtuous dynamic where he wants to be a pirate, but a different type of pirate, right? He's going to be a pirate who stands up for his friends He's going to be a pirate who protects the weak. He's going to be a pirate who stands up for the vulnerable. He is the the sort of purest form of somebody who wants adventure and wants to explore and wants to test their strength and and do all of these things. So, you know, to me, and I think the other element that's interesting in the show is it's, you know, reminiscent of sort of gospel accounts, right? Uh, You know, here's a person with this this, uh, call on their life. And they recruit others to come and to join their band. And now they're going to go out on this, you know, wild adventure and mission. So I actually ran into someone while while the show was airing and came up that I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, do you watch The Chosen? Uh, and I was like, no, I haven't. But in my mind, I was like, but I've been watching One Piece, which is reminding me of what it's like to call <laughs> disciples and to follow and to uh, roll with a magnetic per- a person and to say, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, at first I thought this person was wild and kind of just really out there. But like the purity of their heart, their convictions are, are um, there's so much virtue and there's so much magnetism that, you know what, I am, I, I am going to kind of follow them and let's see where this thing goes. So I think Luffy really embodies that. I think that comes through in the show. And I think that's why, you know, I watched with my wife who, you know, has always been kind of skeptical uh, of, of, you know, the anime and the manga. And she was locked in, you know, it took at least one or two episodes, but mm. was locked in. And I think it's because of that virtuous character that, that Luffy has. Ever since I was a kid. Shanks would tell me stories about pirates and their adventures. So yeah, the sea's been calling. 
well, not exactly calling because I pretty much can't swim. But you get the idea. I'm setting out to follow my dream. To find the One Piece. And become King of the Pirates! Nice. Yeah, absolutely. It makes him countercultural within this world, right? And I, I had a similar thought about Luffy, but really the entire crew being, in a way, mirroring how Christians are called to be countercultural and stand apart in ways. You touched on a couple of things, Claude, but even in relation to violence. Now, Luffy, you know, uses those powers to fight, absolutely, but only when pushed to a certain point, and certainly in contrast with a lot of the other pirate characters who we meet. And even the Marines, right? The Marines employ violence instinctively. I think though treasure is involved, it is the goal. It's You don't get the sense that Luffy is driven by greed and he brings the other members of the crew alongside that. Loyalty to those friends takes precedence. And as we've said, encouraging them in their talents and their dreams, that seems to take priority. And there's also this idea of the community that is being formed here among them. You know, this life together he's encouraging over something like individuality. I think that's, you know, a key distinction of of Christian counterculture as well. And one way this popped up to me visually is the use of the wanted posters throughout. I really enjoyed that mm. where we would get this before we were introduced to a new pirate we'd see their wanted poster and how much the bounty is on their heads. And this is for the vicious pirates, right? But by the season's end, Luffy finally earns his own wanted poster and it has come to mean something different when we see that on the screen, right? It's almost at this point, a visual badge of honor, not shame. So, but this does get complicated. So maybe Abby, I'll ask you this distinction and see what you made of this. But you know, the series does open with the execution of of an infamous pirate, Gold mm-hmm. Roger, played by Michael Dorman. And in the scene, we see him proclaim just before he is killed, wealth, fame, power. I found everything this world has to offer. And, you know, Luffy is inspired by Gold Roger. And you see that he is after some of those things, but maybe from a different angle, maybe wealth, it's not the main priority, but he is after fame. That is mm-hmm. one that seems to stick through. And so you mentioned Claude at the top, how he wants to be king of the pirates. I don't know in season two, how that's going to play in terms of this virtuous persona, if he's going to be a different kind of king, if he gets to that point. But did you sense any tension here, Abby, between this virtuous character that we see in Luffy is definitely there, but also some of these traditional pirate goals he's still after? I think there is some tension. I think if you were to if you were to talk to Luffy about that, I think his answer would be very different. He seems to have a very almost like initially positive impression of almost everybody he meets. Um, so <laughs> very I, true. <laughs> yeah, I, and I I think that his interest in that, at least from what we see in the show, that Shanks has a big part to play in that. That the fact that he is so heavily influenced by somebody who was good to him and who taught him from a very young age to not be violent, to not be selfish, to stand up for other people, but only like only when you're standing up for other people and not necessarily when you're standing up for like your own pride or your own legacy. So I think that's, that's really strongly influenced the person that he wants to be. And I, I think that's probably a big reason behind why he wants to be King of the Pirates. Um, in addition to like the adventure and the romance of it all, which I think is a large part of it. He's a pretty, he's a pretty young kid and I can see how that would be really appealing. 
But I did wonder throughout, and like this may have already been answered. I mean, it probably already has been answered in like the anime and the manga. So, Claude, no spoilers. But um, <laughs> when when Gold Roger says that he's found wealth and and fame and power, and he's found all the world has to offer, he says that he's offering his treasure to everybody, but he doesn't say what that treasure is. <laughs> and mm. I wonder, I suspect that maybe that treasure is not the material wealth that a lot of the other pirates think it's going to be. I feel like that would be pretty much in keeping with the the attitude that we've seen so far, that maybe wealth, power, and fame, those are things that you can get. Those are things that you can encounter and go after, but they may not be that fulfilling. And maybe, you know, the the real, the real, um, sorry, the, uh, the real satisfaction is the friends you make along the way. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely some mystery around the one piece that you can detect all throughout this season. And I do think, Abby, to your point, it's notable that unless I'm wrong, the season finale does flash back to Gold Roger Mm -hmm. in that moment and kind of remind us, right, of the claim he made. So, Claude, I don't know if you're you're slightly smiling trying to to keep down information that you know (laughs) from from the manga or the anime of what Abby and I are wondering about, but maybe without spoiling it, can you, can you touch on, you know, this sort of tension in this direction in terms of the King of the Pirates and Luffy's character? Well, I think you can see it a little bit at these different moments just in this first season. So, you know, when a few episodes in, you know, a pirate needs not just a crew, but also a ship. And so they find their way into a ship, uh, the Mary and, you know, if you want to, Luffy's always happy, you know, pretty much, unless you're messing with his friends, um, then he gets angry. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, one of the happiest moments for him in the first season is is him sitting on the top of the Mary, sitting on top of the ship and just sort of like taking in the wind and the waves. And it's, I think it's a picture of sort of like, here's here's part of his treasure. Like he's he's really in the process of being a pirate. He has friends. They're going on this adventure they're going to go to what's called the Grand Line, right? Out into um, this dangerous part of the sea to go explore. And he's, you know, like a kid in a candy shop. And and so I think it's not just the the end, right? But also the process and the journey that mm. that matters tremendously. So I think that's, I think this is a good tension to actually pick up on. And I think you see these spots, even just in this first season, where the joy is in this journey that he's sharing with others. Yeah, the treasure is almost an excuse. The pursuit of the treasure is an excuse for the community, the forming of mm-hmm. the community. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, is there anything else either of you wanted to touch on? I don't know if there was an element, Claude, that we left out, but through your eyes is important to talk about. Or Abby, anything else you wanted to jump in on? I think it's, from the discipleship standpoint, I think it's really interesting to consider the kinds of people that that Luffy brings around him. And I feel like there's kind of, there, there is kind of a Christ-like sense of of who he chooses to bring along with him. And at first, like we have characters like Roa Noa Zoro, who's like super cool and wants to be the world's best swordsman. And Nami, who's, whose past is kind of shady a little bit. You have Usopp, who is extremely eager, but lacks like real world experience. And then uh, Sanji, who we meet later, who has, he's he's kind of a hard person to pin down at this point, I think, but he's he's very dedicated, I think, to the idea of this new crew and this new family, but has, I think, his own ambitions that he's also trying to follow. But not all of these characters, I think, would appear to be like people that you'd want to be friends with, like right off the bat. They're either annoying or shady or self-interested, but Luffy sees through that like immediately and seems to see something in them that they don't see in themselves and is also 
really forgiving when like there's there's a one of the characters Nami uh, ends up kind of perpetrating a fairly big betrayal toward the end of the the first season and we find out the reasons for that later on but when everybody else has thoughts about why that happened like Sanji thinks she's been basically kind of press ganged into into working against them uh Zoro is pretty sure that she's doing exactly what she wants to and needs to be left alone and Luffy is pretty much the only character who immediately stands up for her and says no she is who she says she is I I under I realize that there's more to this I forgive her immediately we need to go help our friend and like mm-hmm. your friends don't stop being friends even when they do things that in other circumstances would make you not want to be their friend anymore. But that to me seems like a very consistent view of community and discipleship in uh, in a way that you don't always, I think, see that immediately expressed in a lot of mainstream media. And I found that kind of sweet and refreshing. Are those kiss Oh, how you do that? I'm a thief. Ah, uh, you know, you're really good at thieving. And a good talker, too. You should think about joining my pirate crew. Let's get one thing straight. I am never joining anything with you. I hate pirates. Hate them. That's because you don't know me yet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, to your point about, you know, calling each of them, it's true there is a quality that makes Luffy notice each of them. Mm. But then alongside that comes, you know, maybe three or four other qualities that would definitely be in the negative category. So it's not as if, you know, he discovers just this wonderful power they have that he can use to his own ends. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm going to overlook for now these Mm -hmm. other elements that aren't so great and invite them in to be part of this this forming community. So I like how each interaction has a little bit of that. Any final words, Claude? Um, I would just say, I think it's interesting, you know, we're thinking of different kind of angles or things that are fascinating. I think the use, the, the, the hat, the straw hat that Luffy has and the way that that's used throughout the show, there's a moment, a really significant emotional moment of redemption where Luffy places his hat on a person. The person has said like, Luffy, help me. And it's sort of, it really is thematically, like it's a very clear sort of redemption, a a buying back, a rescue. Mm. And I think these are just like really rich moments. And I think part of why the anime, the manga, and then also the live action show really resonates with people is because it's a picture of these these things that um, are possible. Like redemption is possible. It's possible to be an outcast, but to still find your people and to find belonging. It's possible to chase a dream that, you know, in all likelihood, you probably won't reach it, you know, but you can go along and what you learn through the process can be greater than maybe the treasure that you're chasing. Mm. And I think all of these things are like little glimpses of grace. And I think it's why the show has such a huge following because it reminds people of these different traces of goodness and surprise that are available to us in the world by God's mercy. And so I think I would just drop that for listeners, you know, pay attention to what what happens with the hat and because that can be a really, <laughs> uh, really neat thing through through this first season. Yeah, it's such a great design choice also because if I saw you wearing it as you are right now, Claude, and didn't know anything (laughs) about One Piece, I would not describe that as a pirate hat, right? I would would think of other associations. And that's exactly what this whole series is trying to do is is, as Luffy is trying to redefine what it means to be a pirate, he's even doing it in in what what he wears. So love that touch. 
All right. Well, thank you both for walking me through this world, which has been a fascinating and I think we've discovered a really rich one. How can listeners keep up with you guys? Are, are the two of you still partaking in the socials these days or have you given up? Where where are you at these days, Abby? I'm, I'm kind of half and half. I'm on the platform formerly known as Twitter uh, some of the time. I also am on Blue Sky pretty regularly and still on Instagram because I can't stop looking at pictures of cute cats. So those are, <laughs> yeah, those are those are places where I'm I'm still active. And that's as Abby Olchessy, right? Yes, uh, at Abby Olchessy okay. on, you know, formerly known as Twitter and Blue Sky. All right. How about you, Claude? Yeah, I'm on uh, formerly known as Twitter, still still holding it down there. Instagram uh, as well. You can check me out on Substack. Good Things is my newsletter that I uh, write. Usually comes out once a month, maybe two if I'm disciplined and, and folks are lucky. But yeah, just look <laughs> first and last name. You can keep in touch with me there. And yeah, and also, you know, make sure you're keeping in touch with the podcast and on the website because we've got lots of great stuff there. Excellent. Well, thanks, Claude, for for making sure that One Piece didn't slip by us here at Think Christian. Abby, thank you for coming along on this episode as well. We'll talk to you guys again down the road, all right? Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. If you're looking for more on One Piece, we did publish an article by Sarah Yong-Ah-White where she proposes the idea of straw hat Christians. Now, we somewhat touched on this, but Sarah digs more into how Luffy models ways of working alongside others who are from different or maybe even opposing backgrounds and doing that all toward a shared vision. So you can read that article by Sarah over at thinkchristian.net. We do have space for comments on posts like that. So if you'd like to weigh in on one piece there, go ahead and leave a comment on Sarah's article. You can also email us, tcpodcast at thinkchristian.net. Share your thoughts about One Piece, or if you have any comments about the podcast in general, we would love to hear those. Next up on the show, well, would you believe that TC has never given full attention to reservation dogs? It has come up, the Hulu series, in our Best of TV of the Year episode. We referenced it. I think a few people picked it as their favorite show of the year. But yeah, we've never done a dedicated post. We haven't had a podcast episode about it. So we're going to rectify that as season two of Reservation Dogs comes to a close. Next show, Roslyn Hernandez and J.R. Forsteros are going to join me. We'll be able to talk all things Reservation Dogs, including the finale of season two. Also coming up is the next edition of the TC Movie Club. We'll be gathering online on Monday, October 23, to discuss horror. What is it good for? This is jumping off my new book, Fear Not, A Christian Appreciation of Horror Movies. So watch your favorite scary movie, then come join us. You can sign up to get a Zoom link via email at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. Until then, if you want to keep up with the articles that we're publishing, the best way is to sign up to get our emails. Thinkchristian.net slash subscribe is where you can do that. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Basil. I'm Josh Larson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to consider how another corner of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith. 